Hi, I'm Tisha, and I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that this podcast deals with the hard stuff in life. We share stories of trauma and triumph, and the subject matter may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for content warnings and take care of yourself. If you want to support the work we are doing, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash nowwhatpod. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, welcome back to Now What. I'm Jen. And I'm Tisha. Today, we're going to be joined by Rita, who is actually one of my colleagues at work because I I do have a a day job and I'm a full-time teacher and Rita and I work together. And we've had quite a few conversations around topics that are relevant to this podcast. And she expressed an interest in being on it. And we're so happy that she's here with us today. She describes herself as a regular stressed out mom. And I think that her story is really so many people are just going to relate to it and see pieces of themselves in it. So thank you, Rita, for coming on today. Thank How you are for you? coming and superstar teacher too, not just a regular stressed up. Yes. <sighs> yes. And superstar teacher, of course. <laughs> oh, you're very sweet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a little nervous as well, but I'm definitely feel that there's like value in speaking about what we're going to be talking about today. So Thank you for giving me this platform and allowing me to be vulnerable here with you too. I feel very comfortable like having known the both of you. So it just seemed like a natural fit to share my story. So thank you. We appreciate you being here and being willing to be vulnerable with us. So I guess I should start by giving you a little bit of some background about me. Growing up, I can I can remember always having anxiety. And I think... And, and to be clear, it was like being anxious is very different than having an anxiety disorder. Uh, we all feel anxious from time to time. And I would say growing up, like that's definitely what I felt. I felt anxious towards certain things, but I was still very much like high functioning. The anxiety that I did feel didn't usually impact my like day-to-day life. In fact, sometimes it actually propelled me to do really well. You know, I really wanted good grades. So I was anxious. I studied a lot and I was anxious for tests. So I just studied and I got good grades. And similarly, you know, I was anxious about um, money and how I would spend my money. So like that worked out advantageously because I would just save more than I spent. And I was aware and, you know, by the age of 25, I was able to buy my first house. Like, great. Like this, this is, this is the anxiety that like helped get me to a great place in life. And slowly it started to change probably in my you know 20s I get married do all the things get anxious you know got my bride anxiety going on but still very manageable with like and I call I call it like I label myself as like a high function is having high functioning anxiety but then about seven years ago I had my first son Ryan and mom anxiety is just like okay like a whole new level now right now I started worrying having a kid changes the game it oh it changes the game right so now things were I was still thriving and I still loved being a mom and I loved our little family of three but the things that would really worry me or stress me out like the sleep stroll 
oh my gosh, like I had him sleep trained and I was afraid to leave the house. Oh, and what if I made noise and he woke up? And what if he didn't eat and then it impacted his sleep? Like I was just a wreck over his sleep. So, but nonetheless, you know, we got over that and um, I, I, I was still managing. I was still doing okay. So fast forward, probably a year after we had my oldest son, Rye, Ryan is his name, um, I started noticing some hormonal changes. And I started, went to my doctor, who then referred me to my OBGYN, who then referred me to fertility specialists. And basically, I got told that I had uh, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And secondary infertility. So, and hearing that news, I was devastated. I was just crushed. And I, if I had to pinpoint one moment where I really started to notice a change in my moods, I would say that was it. So then I got caught up in this rabbit hole of, you know, Googling like PCOS and secondary infertility and like, how could I change my diet to increase my likelihood of, you know, conceiving again? Cause I was told I was never going to be able to conceive unless I, you know, had some assistance, whether it be through in virtual fertilization or some other form of like assistance. So I started going down again, like this rabbit hole of just, staying awake at night worrying about this I have done this rabbit hole of research oh my goodness it's, the internet it's, is a dark place right right <laughs> and it's endless you oh should never doctor google right okay and it's not a crystal ball like I I don't know if you listened to my episode but like I talked about endlessly researching trying to find answers I did listen and I totally related. I was looking for like anything that would like increase my percentage. Like, did I need to take out gluten? Did I need to take out dairy? Like, like what did I need to change about my diet that would help me? So it, you know, my husband and I had a, had a lot of conversations and he was definitely bummed, you know, with the news, but he wasn't devastated. You know, like he was happy. He felt complete. You know, we had our son, Ryan, and it was the three of us. And we were like making a lot of really positive changes in, in our in our health and in our lifestyle. And and everything just felt quite manageable, you know, like leaving one kid with, with grandma or grandpa to take a vacation. Like we could do that. Like we had a very amount of privilege and amount of luxuries that we were doing quite well. So he was kind of like, you know what, maybe this is the right gig for us. You know, like maybe having one is, is enough. Maybe having one is good for my anxiety, right? <laughs> like maybe, maybe it was just meant to be. So after several months, I truly embraced it. I truly, after feeling like defeated and I just, I came to terms with it and I accepted it. We were going to be a family of three. And my husband had always had this dream of going back to school to pursue a different career. And this was the time to do it. So he quit his job and he enrolled in school. And two days later, I received, I kid you not, two days later, I received the follow-up from my latest blood work for my OBGYN and I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. I know. And mm, usually- I bumps. <laughs> <laughs> So usually this would be a time to rejoice and celebrate. And it wasn't for us. 
Like it really wasn't, we were shook. We had just come to terms with the fact that we weren't going to have another. And we started making plans for not having another and I'm pregnant. So we have this unplanned pregnancy and I'm going to be honest with you. Like our marriage really took a toll. Like we were really, really struggling with this news and without getting into too much detail, because I feel like half the story is Eric's to tell. I'll just leave it at the fact that we were tested. We were really, really tested Mm -hmm. and we weren't sure if our marriage would survive. So thankfully we're still together. We did pull through. Um, but that was a really dark time. And looking back now, like I was, that's when I think the depression hit. And I didn't know it at the time, but my whole pregnancy with Owen, he's my second, um, I was depressed. I was, I was like just so irritable and so sad and so confused. And like, I didn't, I didn't know if my, if my marriage was even going to survive. Right. Like, so, um, it was a hard time and I can, and I recognize that it was hard for my husband, Eric too. We were really, really in a dark place. And, um, so now, so it's okay. So we fast forward a bit. So Owen arrives and he comes and, um, we're, we're starting a bit of our like healing along our marriage journey. And we're starting to, you know, do all the things that you do as a new mom or dad, but then that sort of depression just kind of kept lingering. It was still there, you know, like we're talking like this is postpartum plus, 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 you know, like, I don't know how long postpartum lasts, what, maybe the first year? Well, it's forever. You're postpartum forever. forever. You really are. Yeah. You're postpartum forever. But like, now I'm just like, okay, this, you can't just label this as postpartum depression. Now this is just depression, right? Like this is like, you know, we're two years out now and I, and, and I didn't know it at the time. Like I, I really, really didn't. I just thought, I was stressed. I was a stressed out mom, you know, a year after Owen went back to work, uh, sorry, a year after Owen was born, I went back to work teaching primary and, um, you know, gonna say like lovely class, but some stressful parents, there was some things going on and I would hold it together all day at work. Like Tisha, you know, like we'd go and staff room we'd shoot the shit like I don't think anybody would know like how badly I was struggling because I held it together I was so Mm -hmm. good at faking it Mm -hmm. and then I'd come home and I would be a momster like angry like the sound of my children's voices like I would feel rage rage like why like just even hearing mommy I would be like what like and they're looking at me like, uh, sorry, like, you know, I just called your name. <laughs> they just, yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. and I knew that that wasn't how I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I just didn't really realize how bad it was, you know, like I remember just feeling like I just kept wishing time away. I just wanted my kids to be older. I wanted them to need me less. I wanted them to depend on me less. Like I just wanted them bigger. Mm-hmm. And I know that every stage has their own problems. Like my kids are four and seven now. So they're still quite little. They're still quite needy. But 
I've learned now how to love that, right? And how to embrace that. But, you know, there was a time where it was really, really hard. And I remember, so, okay, Owen, my youngest, shout out to all of the parents out there trying to raise a spirited child because <laughs> I think that's all three of us. Oh, oh my God. We all have that one. is <laughs> and it's that all is the a, second born by the way. Right. Oh yep. my God. It is a next level parenting challenge. Like he is more every, all all kids are curious. Owen is more curious. All kids are energetic. He is more energetic. All kids are inquisitive and sensitive. Like he is just, he's extra. He is extra everything. So he's loud, right? And like the sound of his like shrieking or his crying over like what I consider to be nothing. I just spiraled. Chalkboard. Oh my God. I would spiral, Jen. Like it was just, I kept crying. I don't know how to parent this kid. I don't know how to parent you. Like I just, I almost, there were days where I didn't even like him. Okay. Like I was just like, you need to, and Eric would just swoop in. That's my husband. He would just swoop in and just be like, you go, like, you need to go. You need to take Mm -hmm. a walk because like right now, like he just needs to be held. And I was just like, not even wanting to hold him. Yep. And keep in mind this whole time, I'm really not thinking there's any, like, there's anything wrong with me. Like I'm thinking it's just, I'm overworked and I'm tired and I'm mad at my kids. Like it's my kids fault. Like they, they need to whine less. Right. Like I remember the moment it really hit home for me was one night after work, I came home from work and Eric and I had got dinner ready for the kids and for ourselves. And we had sat down, had dinner and we'd be, Owen would be up to his usual, like, I'm not eating shenanigans. I'd be doing my usual bribing, threatening, like promising dessert, like all, all of the things that I was trying to do to get him to eat. And all four of us, oh, sorry, all three of us, my husband, Eric, my older son, Ryan, and myself had finished eating and Owen had barely touched a thing. So this is where my anxiety kicks in. I'm like, if you don't eat, you're not going to sleep through the night. And if you don't sleep through the night, then you're going to wake me up. And then if you wake me up, then I'm going to have a bad sleep. And then tomorrow's a work day. And like, I just have to function and mama needs her sleep. So all Mm -hmm. of these, I wanted to get food in his belly. So um, Eric's washing the dishes. Ryan happens to like grab his iPad and pulls it up to the kitchen table and he's watching a show and Owen's running around the house. He's running around the house. What am I doing? Well, I'm running around the house behind him with a fork of green beans, trying to get him to eat a spoonful of green beans. We're fighting back and forth. We're arguing back and forth. He trips and falls. The beans go everywhere. And there's a whole mess in the, in like the TV room. So I come into the I come into the kitchen and I look Eric straight in the eye and I was like, I hate him with so much certainty and so much authority in my voice, like referring to Owen. I was like, I hate him. And the worst part of that was that my oldest son, Ryan heard me. Yeah. Right. And he heard me and the look of shock and sadness in his face, like, he like he just heard me say I hate his little brother mm-hmm. you know like look there's one thing to say you know in a hot moment with your partner 
something that, you know, I didn't mean it. Like, of course I love my kid, but like in that moment, I was like, I thought I meant it, but like I said, I hate, and it's one thing to vent to your partner, but it's, you don't let your kids hear you. Right. Like, so I just felt so low. I felt so horrible. Ryan left the table crying. I don't even know where Owen is at this point. Like, and I was crying. Owen, Eric goes to do damage control. My husband's trying to, you know, talk Ryan down from like, you know, he's sad. He was sad. He heard mommy say like, well, he was probably thinking, what is she going to say about me? Like, what does she think about me? Mm-hmm. So that whole night was just rough. I just remember feeling like a piece of shit. We put the kids to bed. And I just looked at Eric and I was sobbing. I was just sobbing. And I said, like, why does it have to be like this? Like, why does it have to get like this? Like, over what? Over fucking green beans? And he just looks at me and he says, Rita, like, it's not about the beans. Like, it's about the burnout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's about the burnout. It's funny how triggering sleep and eating can be when you're a parent, (laughs) right? Like they're huge things that like impact a child's mood and therefore impacts a parent's mood. But, but sometimes I question, not that they don't impact a child's mood, but it's the the chance that they will impact their mood Mm -hmm. is what sets us off, right? right? That's what it is. And I... I mean, Tisha knows Logan was a horrible sleeper. So sleep has always been like a, a, a point for me. Like mm-hmm, I don't mess mm-hmm, with that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I learned very early on that I wasn't playing the game with food. I go, you eat it or you don't, but you get nothing else. And I leave it at that. Well, I, I'm there now. <laughs> but I, I That's a process. But it, well, but so, I think it's a thing for so many moms. And like, as you're talking, yeah. I'm like, we need to do something where it's like, just like put the freaking food in front of your kids. And if they eat it, great. And if they don't deal with it, cause they won't let themselves starve. Yeah. So we're there now in the Campbell household. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's really hard to let go of that. Like you were describing the, the dinners and like everybody's done and he hasn't even touched his plate. And I cannot count how many dinners we have had in my home that are like that. And I was the kid who didn't touch anything on their plate mm-hmm, growing up. Mm-hmm. Like that was me. So mm-hmm. I, I, I know it from both sides. Fair. Yeah. And it's, that's really fair. It's really common, but it's very stressful as a parent because you just want your kids to eat. You want them to be healthy. Right. Like, right. You want well, them what to if sleep? they wake up hungry them. in the middle of the night? That I'm not was feeding them in the middle of the night. Right. That was my thing. That was my work thing. in the morning. And I have to the work on. like, yeah, as teachers, you know, we have to give so much of ourselves at work mm-hmm, as mm-hmm, well. And you have to be mm-hmm. on, you can't just, you know, my husband is also a teacher and some of his friends work office jobs. And he's like, you know what? Nobody really notices if they're really tired and they're sitting in their cubicle, they can just kind of slack off a little bit. But when you have 27 year olds staring at you, you can't just like sit at your desk and like, no, they rely on her. you. Like you can't, I, you're exactly. on. Yes. You have to be on, yes. you have to be at your best. And that yes. means sleep. And Amen. Also, right. <laughs> and then, and then mom's cranky when we don't sleep and then kids are cranky and it's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so much. So, yeah. Much. So yeah. after I heard like Eric say, like, it's about the burnout, like he, keep in mind, he had been telling me for months 
I was taking too much on. He would constantly say, Rita, like you are keeping everybody else warm by lighting yourself on fire. Like, mm. and consequently lighting the family on fire, right? Like I was like giving so much to everybody else and then come home and they'd get the worst side of me. Empty. Right? Empty. And that in turn makes, it's hard to, it's hard on, on, on a partner too, right? When you see somebody that you love struggle so badly and not do anything mm. about it and you don't know how to help them. Like this wasn't just like a, my problem. This was a family problem. Mm -hmm. and in some ways it still continues to be right like I'm still a work in progress I'm still going through this I'm certainly on on a better side but I certainly still have my days and my moments where Mm -hmm. I just want to run away and crawl into a hole and like just never return right so so that when he said that I knew I knew that it was time so the next day I went to work and I had a doctor's appointment after work and I saw my family doctor and I just sort of explained to her how I was feeling and what was going on. And she gave me a medical note to take a leave of absence. So a medical leave from work. And um, so then that was, I remember it was Tuesday night. We had the bean incident Wednesday, Wednesday after school, I'm um, in my doctor's office and Thursday is the first day of my, of my medical leave. And right away, I, um, my doctor referred me to a therapist and I took myself to a naturopath. So I have naturopath working in like naturopath appointments alongside with my therapist appointments who, um, and it was great. And both of them said the same thing. Both of them said, oh, that's so great. You know, you got to leave from work. And they were so relieved that I had taken a huge stressor off my plate. And while I don't disagree with that, it was also really hard because now's when the real work started, right? Like now is when I needed to get better, right? So yes, they were relieved that I didn't have work in the way. And so was I. But now I had feelings of guilt and shame and feelings like I was being judged and feeling bad. Like I taught little kids, right? Like I taught six and seven year olds and like teacher was just gone one day. Like, and I didn't, like, they they didn't know why Mm -hmm. I just left. Right. So that comes with a huge, huge, huge amount of guilt. And so in working with my therapist who um, ended up referring me to a psychiatrist and working with them as well, um, I was just sort of, I remember one afternoon, I just spent a lot of time talking about things that made me anxious and how I was feeling and how I could recognize that now I wasn't just a person who was anxious sometimes. Now I was a person that had like anxiety disorder like it was impacting my day-to-day and my ability to function and uh she (laughs) she kind of says to me so Rita like you thought about your anxiety but like when are we going to start talking about your depression and I just kind of paused I was like what like, I didn't think I was depressed. Like, I wasn't crying. If anything, I was raging. I was just so irritable, like, and snappish. And now I can see that these are all very much signs of depression. I, my inability to even make the simplest decision. Like, if Eric would be like, you want to go for a restaurant? Where do you want to go? This is pre-COVID, of course. Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. Like, I didn't even know what I wanted to eat. Like, I couldn't mm. even decide what to, like, what to where in a day like it was just yeah like so yeah so (laughs) 
we go through the whole assessment or whatever they give you their, their questionnaire. And it turned out that I had severe anxiety and depression disorder. So again, talking about hard work, <laughs> mm -hmm. hard work, um, working through that, first of all, unpacking that and recognizing that in myself, because forever I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't like that word depression. It sounded so serious, right? And, yeah. I, didn't, and I didn't want to, like, I, I, I held myself to such a standard that, like, I wanted things, I wanted to be perfect, you know, like I wanted to be just an, an unattainable standard, a standard that I would never hold any one of my friends to. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I thought I needed to hold myself to it, but I just worried about what people thought about me. And I worried how um, I was going to be perceived. Mm -hmm. And so to be known as, or to know like that I had depression, I just kind of felt like it was a sign of weakness. And I see now that asking for help is a sign of strength. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, it, there's still yeah. such this stigma. Like you have a control over whether you have depression or not. And it's right? not something that you It's brain control. health. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not even mental. Like it's mental, but it's more like it's a brain. Like it's your brain health. Like if there was something wrong with your heart, that's your heart health, right? Like there's something wrong with your brain. That's your brain health. So... I started working on um, something I found really, really helpful was working with my psychiatrist on cognitive behavioral therapy, also known as CBT. CBT. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we really worked really, really hard. And again, I was doing courses and like my, my homework, like I wasn't off, you know, just sitting on the couch. Like I was working, I was actively in courses mm -hmm. and working with my naturopath and journaling and walking every day, listening to podcasts and really like taking myself through a course, right? Like I had a counselor that was working through the course with me. I had homework to do. And I really learned how to like change my thoughts. I learned that my thoughts impact my behavior and mm -hmm. my behavior impacts my mood. So those three, like just, they work in unison, right? Your thoughts, your behavior and your moods. And so by learning how to focus on what I know to be true, and what I can control and worrying mm -hmm. less about what I can't control really, really started the shift towards feeling better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can I just say though, one thing my, one thing my um, naturopath told me to do, she's like, you just seem really, really like you've got so much going on. You know, you got two young kids and you, at the time I was working out a lot at the gym and uh, you're busy with work. So can you just do something for yourself? Like to chill, like try a yoga class. And Jen, you know, we met a couple of times at yoga, yeah. but can I just say, and I'm probably standing alone here how much I hate yoga. Okay. <laughs> okay. So like, really, I faked it so much. I would, I would leave yoga class and Eric would be like, how was your class? Be like, oh, it was great. It was great. I fucking hated it. Okay. I hate yoga. I know it's supposed to be good for you. And I know that there's so many, so many benefits, but I was so awkward. 
I've spent half my head's supposed to be down. My head's like cranked to the side because I'm looking at what everybody around me is doing because I don't know what position I'm supposed to be in. I can't hold the position for very long. Everything's uncomfortable. And it would just became something that was supposed to be calming and soothing gave me too much time to think. Oh my gosh, we do, what was it called, Jen? Savasana? Savasana. Okay, so I was literally- (laughs) the only reason I do yoga. (laughs) Okay, so I'm lying there and this is again, pre-COVID, so the instructors could actually touch you. And every single time we're lying there, the instructor would have to gently put some pressure on my shoulders so that I would like stop tensing my shoulder blades together. Mm -hmm. So she tried to help me relax because even lying there, I would be so tense and everything was like just going through my mind, like thinking about all the laundry that have waiting for me at home or thinking about like, you know, what we're going to have for dinner. Like my mom, it was too quiet. My mind was racing. And all I kept thinking was, I hate this. I'd rather be in a spin class with music blasting so I can't hear myself think and <laughs> then being here. But yet I'd come out and I'd fake it. I'd be like, it was great. It was wonderful. Can't wait to be back next week. But can I just yeah. say, I'm sorry, I might stand alone here, but I hate yoga. So well, that was I think that didn't work. <laughs> I have two comments on that and you still could hate yoga. But my two comments on that are where you were taking yoga was not the ideal situation for somebody who was new to yoga. Okay. Number one, because okay. you definitely had all kinds of levels. And if you're somebody who's prone to wanting to be perfect in comparison, yes, that was not the right room to be in. Number okay. one. <laughs> Felt that. I feel number, that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't care what anyone else is doing. So it doesn't matter to me. Um, <laughs> number two, you also went in there with, this is going to calm me down. This is supposed to calm me down instead Mm -hmm. of just going in there and doing it and like letting what it be, what it was instead of focusing Mm -hmm. on either not being able to do the pose or this is supposed to be calming down and now it's not calming Mm -hmm. down. And like, and then I could be doing something else and this is not coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The same thing happens to a lot of people when they try to meditate and you know, the thing about self-care and I've had my own journey with that is that there's so many things that people say you should do for your mental health mm-hmm. and we can kind of try them all and that's fine, but not everything is for everyone. And I think when we're talking about mental health and we're talking about self-care and like finding those things that make us feel good that we do for us, it's so personal. It is. And Definitely. you just, you do, you just have to find the thing that works for you and that makes you feel good. And if that's not yoga, mm-hmm. then that's not yoga for you. No, right. it doesn't have to be yoga. Right. But and some I people really maintain. like to journal and some people don't like to journal. I do maintain and- that might not have been the best setup. For going <laughs> yoga. I appreciate that. I can, I, I yeah, I, I think you might be onto something there. <laughs> But you could still hate it. You could totally still hate it. I'll give it another try. In the right environment, I'll give it another try. I mean, it's not for everyone at all. But yeah, it is a really personal thing. And I I imagine because you were someone that the gym was so important to that the suggestion probably came out of the fact that you like to move and do physical Mm -hmm. things. And that Mm -hmm. is a physical movement that's not only supposed to calm you, it's also just better for like your adrenal system and the cortisol right. and all of those kind of hormones that you don't, that you're trying to like, right. You know, tamp down and the same like spin again, it like spin. I mean, I love a loud spin class, but if your like adrenal system is all out of whack, 
that's not what you should be doing. Well, exactly. And that's exactly what my, like the therapist, I'm sorry, pardon me, the naturopath advice, like that's where it came from, right? Like it obviously came from a place of, you know, trying to get the adrenal systems in sync and then lined Mm -hmm. up and just something. Thing. And, and, it, and it was a great idea. Mm-hmm. And it just, just not for me, <laughs> just yeah. not for me at that time, maybe in, a, maybe in the future, right? Maybe I'm not ruling it out forever, but in that time, I would just, it just felt liberating to say it here that like, cause yeah. I was faking it. I was pretending like I liked it. Right. Because I thought yeah. I needed to, I thought like Which everybody wants yoga. the opposite oh. what you should have been doing. Right. <laughs> it really was. It really was. So it's a journey. It's a process for sure. And there's so, you know, people tell you that that's what you're supposed to do for your Mm -hmm. mental health. Like yoga Mm -hmm. comes Mm -hmm. up frequently in in these Mm -hmm. conversations and um, Mm -hmm. you will have, find lots of people who will attest that that is like the thing that saved them. Right. But it's not the thing that saves everybody. It's not. Right. So um, that's, I guess that's your decision to make, I think. Yeah. Um, if it, right. If that works for you and I'm sure there's going to be someone who's listening. That's also like, I hate yoga. <laughs> um, Solidarity. I, I know people that do that. Probably they better be listening. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. I was just thinking about, you know, you talked about when you, when you finally went on leave and then you finally get this kind of diagnosis Mm-hmm. and just struggling with that you know the word mm-hmm. I'm and I'm just wondering like how how did you find that you were received by the people in like your support network did you share that with them were they like good question actually um I was really private And again, Mm -hmm. I think that stemmed from feelings of my own, like my own, not because I was worried what people were going to think, but I think it just stemmed from, I didn't want people to worry about me. And I've also was worried about being judged. Like I didn't tell my parents, right? Like they, if they're, if they're listening to this, this is going to be news for them, quite frankly, because I didn't want them to worry about me. Mm -hmm. And then there was other, like my husband knew and... I told a few really close friends at work and they were my rock, you know, like they showed up when I needed them to show up and they never Mm -hmm. judged me when I felt judged and most credit. And the person that's heard me talk about this the most and has supported me through this the most is my husband, Eric, like, Mm -hmm. and I don't think we spend enough time acknowledging. We talk a lot about mental health, but we don't spend also enough time talking about how it affects like those around you as well. Like in watching somebody, you know, like struggle and he could lead a clinic on how to support somebody who is struggling because he has certainly said so many and done so many things that just he's my calm, not my chaos, if that makes sense. Right. Like he adds to absolutely serenity. So Mm -hmm. Um, having him to lean on was, was huge. And my, there's a few colleagues from work, like I said, that really, really showed up for me and made me feel just loved and not judged. And that's what I needed. You know, I just needed to know that it was okay. Like they gave me permission to not come to work. You know, they had my back. Yeah. That's so huge because, you know, when you're not at work, you can sometimes feel like 
I don't know, like you're dumping your stuff on, mm-hmm. on the people who are at work are now left to pick up the pieces of what totally left, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we worry about what's going to happen with our work when we're not there. Mm-hmm. And so to know that the people you were working with were kind of supporting you and, and had your back is, was probably just a big relief, I imagine. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a huge relief and it still made me feel connected, right? Cause work is such a huge part of my life. Like I loved my job and having them in my corner still made me feel connected to work in a way, right? Like I bounce ideas off them or we chatted about it. They kept me in the loop of what was happening in the staff room chatter that I would miss, right? So mm-hmm. it felt less lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And still kind of made you feel included. And so how long were you away from work? Okay. So I took a leave uh, middle of January mm-hmm. and I really wanted to go back after March break. And I was trying, <laughs> yeah, I was trying to convince myself that I was healthy enough, you know? And it, again, this is where my husband comes into play and my psychiatrist comes into play and says like, at this point, it is selfish of you to go back. Like you are not healthy yet. And, but because I was still struggling with those feelings of guilt and shame, I wanted to go back and I miss my kids, right? Like I miss my students. I wanted to end the year with them. I wanted just to pick up where we left off. Mm -hmm. Um, But under the advice from my psychiatrist, I took off until June and had the summer and returned just this previous September. Mm -hmm. So I was off for from mid January till the end of the year till June. Yeah. I just, I just remember like thinking, if you had, had you gone back when you had planned to, you would have gone back into the chaos of COVID. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you were you're still now, dealing with this. Yeah. You were yeah. planning to come back. Like yeah. when we were just finding out that we were all staying home. Yes. Yes. That's true. I was wondering, cause you obviously had those three months kind of to yourself during the day to, I mean, I know you had Owen around, but you, you do have some support with him, mm-hmm. but then with COVID hitting, how did that impact your recovery and working through things? Cause you went from being really able to like commit to these appointments and do these things and this time for yourself during the day to then mm. the anxiety and the fear that surrounded this time in the world and having like everybody in this house together all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely a bit of a setback. Yeah. And it was the time that, um, I, and keep in mind now, because I had done so much healing, it, it helped me a lot, right? Because I had put in so much work the months prior Mm-hmm. And, and like actively like weekly therapy ass- sessions and weekly like journaling mm-hmm. and or daily journaling, I should say. Um, so it definitely helped me and someone who is anxious, like the way I am, we sort of um, prepare for like catastrophe. Like I'm used to catastrophizing things. So like COVID, yes, it was huge, but it didn't completely shatter me it really didn't because I was like well yeah like this is a bit like I live my life anxious like this is sort of you know I'm I'm used to this like I got this I'm I'm ready for this right so (laughs) so um I I sort of felt like that coupled with the work that I had done prior Mm -hmm. 
set me up for, I, I don't, I, I don't know where I would be had I not taken the leave when I did. And so I think my advice is to definitely try to be like, don't put it off as long as I did, you know, don't Mm -hmm. have like be proactive instead of reactive to your mental health. Mm -hmm. And if you feel you need help, we need to get help, right? Like there's lots of support and maybe the first support person you reach out to isn't your person. You might have to try out a few different people or a few different medicines or, you know, therapies because it's not a one size fits all. Well, no, because, and you talked about CBT and I did CBT when I was dealing with postpartum depression and I hated it. Right. So hated it. So, you know, and like I interviewed therapists for me and Tisha just picked the person that was closest and was Mm -hmm. cool with that. You Mm -hmm. know, like everybody has. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of can't know though until you're in it. You have to be in it and you have, yeah, exactly. And you have to be willing, like it's risky, right? Like you have to be willing, it's a relationship, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? You have to be willing. And even if you're on like a, like even a prescription drug, right? Like if I, I, I went through a few antidepressants because the first one just wasn't working for me anymore. Right. So you, you have to play around with it and you have to keep an open mind, I think, um, because in the end it's worth it. Right. In the end. Well, and, and recognize that there's no quick fix. Like that you're not, not. going to feel amazing after that first therapy appointment. No, yeah. no. If anything, that's when the real hard work begins, right? Like that's when you're, yeah. you're face to face with some, well, at least I was, I came face to face with some things that I'd been denying for months, yeah. years even. And years I think even. sometimes that is the hesitation right? It is for people to go to therapy because they're like, whoa, like I got stuff that I am not ready to deal Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to see a therapist because they're going to get it out of me and they're going to make me talk and they're going to make me confront this stuff. They're going to make me deal with it. Well, um, my other, go ahead, Jen. Sorry. My, just on that point right there, my son's therapy said one of the main reasons that they typically don't take cancellations after 24 hours is because there can be that anxiety leading up to an appointment but that means you have, you should be going, you have to go. You mm-hmm. have to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely me for a long time. I would worry about my appointments every week. My yeah. therapist would say this to me too. She's like, do like, what would you do? I think this is a Brene Brown quote, uh, but like, what would you do if you weren't afraid and do that? So like, if you're afraid. It's sort of with this podcast. I, I opened up this podcast by saying that I was nervous, right? Mm-hmm. We knew yeah. I was, I was afraid, right? I was afraid of guilt and, 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 and not guilt, pardon me. I was afraid of saying the wrong thing or not being relatable. And I did it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to, if I was, if I didn't feel fear, I would do it. So if you're afraid of something, you need to do that. You need to do what's well, it's holding you back. You, it's telling yeah. you that you care about something. Yeah. 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 The other thing that, you know, strikes me as I'm listening to your story is kind of that moment where you realize that you needed help. And, you know, you were saying, don't wait as long as I did. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the thing sometimes that is so hard for people to to recognize in themselves Mm -hmm. and to acknowledge that they're at a point that they need help. And when you tell your story and you were talking about Eric saying, this isn't about the beans. Mm -hmm. 
this Mm -hmm. is about the burnout and that you were able to listen to that because Mm -hmm. sometimes there's also, I think people in our lives who are telling us like, you know, he was telling you, honey, Oh, he was. I love you. Oh, he was. Had he been saying things to you before? That's actually what I wanted to ask. Yeah. I personally, my mother and, and my husband had called me out about postpartum depression about four months after my first was born and I mm-hmm. wasn't having it. I wasn't having it. Yeah. I yeah. didn't deal with it until a year after my second was born. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like, he had for sure, he was for sure. Like he started off subtly and then he was not so subtle. And I just kept saying like, no, I got this. Oh, I'm just tired. Oh, I just need a good night's sleep or, Oh, I, did, I, ate, I ate crappy today. Oh, I need to do a work. Like I had all the reasons yeah. why so I can just like, make it through to this long weekend. Exactly. Like, just, let, just let me get to March break. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. That's just it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I just didn't want to even like, I just couldn't bring myself to think about that. I couldn't handle it all. I mean, there was people like go, going through, everybody has their shit and they to, like, mm. everybody has their own shit and they're still showing up for work. You know, like there's people, there was colleagues that are going through divorce. They're there every day. There's other people with two small kids that also drive them wild. And they're there every day. Like there's people with all sorts of life stressors and they were showing up for work. So why couldn't I, I felt inadequate. I felt like I was less than, I felt like there was something wrong with me. And I was trying to prove to myself that like, no, I got this. I got this. I got this. And at work, I did have it, you know, like I was a a good teacher. Like nobody would know. Like I, I did it really well. <laughs> as someone who worked with you, like I knew you had, you know, I know your job is stressful. I'm also a teacher. Yes. So, you know, there was obviously I knew that there were challenges in the job. Um, and I knew you had two kids and and we commiserated on several occasions mm-hmm. about the chaos of mornings. Um, right. Mornings. Trying to get oh, God, everybody yeah. out the door. Yeah. Yeah but I had no idea Rita. And then all of a sudden you weren't at work anymore. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. where's Rita? Oh, she's, she's not here. And then I don't know, at some point I put it together. Weeks went on. Yeah, exactly. It was an extended Um, leave. And I've been on this type of leave myself. So it didn't take me too long to figure Mm -hmm. out that Mm -hmm. it wasn't just a cold. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy, the rumors that go around schools, by the way, when a teacher takes a leave. And I knew that. So that's why I would feel stressed and yeah. guilty. You know, like you're trying to avoid those rumors. You're trying to like the stigma, right? Like that's part of the reason why I was, didn't want to do it. I didn't yeah. want to, like, I kept pushing through and, you know, I, I like to think like my students feel love, like they feel cared for, like, like, mm-hmm. I, and you know, but at home, I couldn't give that same thing to my own kids, my poor, hu- like my husband too. Like it was, we were all struggling. We were all, cause I'd keep it together. And- For your kids at school, but you couldn't exactly. keep it together at home. Mm-hmm. I think what it's, it's so funny. Cause before we started recording, you were like, well, maybe, you know, my story isn't enough or it isn't this, or it isn't that. And I think it's really easy, I, especially as women to first of all, feel like anything about us isn't enough. Number one, but number two, this pressure to feel like we have to manage all the things. And Mm -hmm. what's so important, I think about your story, especially now in COVID 
because I mean, you can't go on a newspaper's website or read a magazine without it talking about the mental load of motherhood, especially in this time and how much more women Mm -hmm. are taking on in this Mm -hmm. time. It's highlighting the mental load of motherhood because frankly, I think mothers were overloaded already. Mm -hmm. This is just bringing it to the forefront. But we're getting even more piled on us. Yes. When you're yeah. talking about virtual schooling and and mm-hmm. that that in December alone in the US, but I'm a venture, I guess that it's mirrored here, of all of all the jobs lost, they were all women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like le- whether it's being laid off or fired or be having to leave yeah. the workforce, it was a hundred percent women. Mm -hmm. And I'd imagine that a portion of that could be in leave kind of capacities because of stress, because of everything, but also they're calling it the she session. It's like the devaluing of women and the work Mm -hmm. that they do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's what, but I think that's, there's this impression or feeling or what have you that women can't like work up to the level of men or whatever. We're not paid. There's all of these things, but what is never factored in is what women are dealing with outside of the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause most yeah. moms I know, Tisha, this is, I feel like you guys have a very good, even kind of split of who does what in your house because your husband does all the cooking, but most my of- husband does the cooking, which mm. we can, we can talk about. But most women, but most <laughs> women, but even he would go, you guys would go together to swimming, like from yes. the outside, I'm not going to comment on yes. your marriage, but from the outside, it appears to be very evenly split. I'm very lucky. Most women I know though, they'll work their full-time job and they'll come home and they'll make dinner and they'll make sure the kids do the homework. And maybe the husband's there, maybe the dad is there, or the partner is there, maybe they're not, but it's still, even I think traditionally women are still taking it on pre-COVID in a perfect situation that the, was ra- the responsibility of managing all of the things are there. Well, it's and called the mother load for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like we, exactly. we all this exactly. to say, all this to say, and, and I kind of got out of my soapbox a little bit there, but I think your story is so timely and important now. Cause yes, it all kind of came to a head pre-COVID, but I would imagine it's coming to a head even more now when you have families that are together all the time yeah so you're saying you think there might be mom rage happening right now Jen (laughs) I think that you know that part of your story is so relatable I mean I I I think I told Tisha when we were like on a prep call the other night that I like Wyatt until five o'clock and then I can't be around him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I know I know. I, I, I really do. I'm not just saying, I know, like I actually know, like yeah. I feel you. I get I've it. learned to add when I, cause I think anyone that's listened knows that I'm alone with my children. I've learned that if I lose it and I have to, you know, drop an, I hate you. It's a right now, right now. I, mm-hmm. hate you. Mm-hmm. I love you. I will always mm-hmm. love you right now. I really mm-hmm. don't like you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's we're key. We're all capable of, of saying things <laughs> totally in the moment. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we ended up using it. I mentioned briefly earlier that Eric went and did some damage control because I was just too distraught, like with Ryan, and he ended up using it as a teachable moment. And like, you know, everybody at, at, at any, like, there's going to be so many times in your life where you say things that you wish you didn't say. Yeah. And, you know, like what, how are we going to move forward though? We're going to own it. And we're going to apologize. And like, sometimes we speak in the heat of the moment. It doesn't excuse the behavior. Like I was still, I still shouldn't have said it, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but we have to own it and we have to learn from it. Right. And he saw that mommy's not perfect. Right. Like mommy, he knows I love him and he knows I love his brother, but at the same time, like moms and dads make mistakes too. Right. I think there's. Tisha and I've talked about this a lot. Like you need to let your children see, see your that humanity, right? Yeah. You, do. you do. And I'm big on admitting, like, I think it's so important to just admit when you've been wrong and model that for your children, mm-hmm. model being oh, yeah. able to accept responsibility for your behavior and oh, model sure. how to give a meaningful apology. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Ryan says to me now, Ryan says to me, mommy, are your emotions taking over? And I'm like, yes, Ryan, they are. <laughs> you got it. My emotions are taking over. <laughs> we, we even, uh, you know, before going through what we've had to go through as a family, I would often say, I, I'll, I would say to Logan when he was little, I'd be like, I understand that you're upset, but was it worth letting your angry get that big? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do we need to like make ourselves be like hyperventilating and sick mm-hmm. or whatever over you know a broken lego right it's not that you yeah. can't be upset about it that's upsetting you can be upset about that that's frustrating but do, do you feel good or better for being this angry that rings like that rings home like for me too as an adult right? yeah, like, well, no, I, yeah yeah and like i I can say to them too, I still do it. And they're older, old enough now, I think to understand it differently, but it's just like the way we speak about it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, mommy let her angry get way too big. And that way wasn't fair to you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you kind of touched on, you know, don't, don't, you know, wait so long to ask for help or seek out help. Um, what kind of, I mean, this might be more of a question for, for Eric, but I guess even as a friend or a sister, or how could you, if you kind of see somebody you love going down that kind of a, a path or a rabbit hole where they need help more than you or support more than you or the people around them can give, what, what do, what would you, what do you think somebody could you know do? What, what could your sister or, you know, some of your good friends from work maybe have said or done to help you? I'm granted you, you say you were really private about it, but The best advice I have to give is to tell them not to take it personally, because quite often we tend to lash out at people that are closest to us. And I'm sure that there could have been so many times where Eric or my good friends from school or from work would say, like they could have, I gave them the attitude in the, because I was upset or because I was frustrated and they could have very easily had given it right back to me. But, you know, then quite often they would say, hang on, I know you're upset. Kind of like what you're saying, Jen, like, you know, like, don't take it personally. I know you're upset. I'm trying to help you. This is what I think you need. Mm-hmm. What do you think you need? And how can we make you feel better? So in a non-judgmental, just, just don't take the, if any aggression comes your way, don't take it personal. 
because it's really not a personal thing. Sometimes we, Mm -hmm. if we're suffering from anxiety and depression, you, we can have a hard time um, putting our anger, like targeting our anger correctly or our sadness correctly or our um, irritability in the right places, right? So it's really not personal. And that's when we need the love and the, the care and support and the calm the most. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Cause you know, when I was really struggling with PTSD, I was irritable and I definitely was, I snapped at my husband all the time mm-hmm. over the smallest mm-hmm. things. And it mm-hmm. wasn't about him. No, it really wasn't. And I think that sometimes he felt like it was. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he sure. did take that personally and it really wasn't. And I think that's really good advice. And I think it's good life advice. Cause like, it goes, yeah, the whole idea. And that's not to say you should let somebody completely mistreat no. you. No, no, <laughs> It's those people that are closest to you. Like you feel comfortable. And so mm-hmm. like, yeah, like Eric's my person. So like, I'm going to get like, if the kids piss me off, like, or he pisses me off, like he's going to hear it. But generally again, it's not about the beans. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. It's about how I'm feeling. And he just looks at me and he says, I'm trying to help you mm-hmm. chill, you know, like, let me, let me help you. Like, don't get mad at me. Let me help you. Mm-hmm. And that goes a long way. It really goes a long way. Cause I feel seen and I feel heard and I feel um, not judged. I feel accepted just in, in all my ugly, you know, when I get ugly like that, I still feel that he's in, he's got my back. That's amazing that you have that partner. It's not about the beans may become <laughs> a catchphrase. Like <laughs> it's definitely going to show up in our Instagram feed. Let's be real about that. Yes. It's um, not it's a good one. I love it. I've all had those moments where it's right. not about the beans. Well, and, yeah. I, and I do, I do think that not taking it personally, if somebody is lashing out, I think goes to speaks a, a bit to kind of like part of what our mission is. And it's, it's to, to increase empathy because mm-hmm. 90% of the time, whether somebody is like in full on like crisis mode or just dealing with something, they will snap at someone. Mm-hmm. And if it's yeah. out of character or not, what's normally going to happen, give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they're dealing with something that you can't see. Yeah. yeah. We walk around with a lot. We We're don't carry a lot. Yeah. We carry a lot. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Rita, for coming on and sharing. Yes. Um, I really think that there are a lot of people that can relate to to a lot of your story. I know Tisha and I definitely both did. Yeah. Um, thank you. And we really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you too. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. And make sure to find us on Instagram at nowwhat underscore podcast. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.